Oh, all right, everybody. Welcome to episode 39 of Talking Taker, our encyclopedic exploration, digging up the career of the greatest professional wrestling character of all time. Thank you for joining us for yet another round of Dead Man Talking. My name is Alex Dorio. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my tag team partner, my fellow creature of the night, my wrestling buddy in his beautiful full-arm dragon twist, what happened when Tony Schiavone t-shirt, sporting it, uh, Travis White. Travis, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm good, man. You could probably introduce me as Barry White tonight, though, because, man, these allergies in East Tennessee, uh, something's happened with the pollen here, man. It came out, and it's kicking my butt. Uh, it's ridiculous. So, could apologize, you? listeners. If my, but uh, you know what I did? I responded with a full-arm dragon twist. So, <laughs> I, 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 right now, I got the uh, the upper hand, so we'll see what happens here, if I can kick out a two or not. Could you but. sing uh, Mark Henry's sexual chocolate theme song right now? <laughs> probably. <laughs> Maybe. Well, you know, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I don't think that's <laughs> uh, it. <laughs> I don't care. Anyway, I'm rocking this full-on Dragon Twist shirt, courtesy of you, for my, my birthday. Thank you very much. Moving on, moving on. <laughs> well, man, are you ready to talk about Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam? Oh, the heart and soul, brother, of SummerSlam 1997. Yeah, Wait, I'm ready. It's Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, right? Oh, well, wait, yeah, my bad. Might as well be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're talking about SummerSlam 1997, and it's supposed to be Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, as you said, heart and soul. That's the subtitle, the tagline for this show. Taker. Sean or Taker? What did I, what did I just say? Sean, you just said Sean. Exactly. That's <laughs> exactly. <what> I, <laughs> it's in my head, because the exactly. entire build is all about Bret Hart. Versus Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is the guest referee for Bret Hart versus The Undertaker. And as you're watching it, as we're going through these Raws, it's going to feel like the focus of all this is Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels because it is. And Undertaker could just be the aftertaker because he's just an afterthought (laughs) in all of this buildup leading into this match. Oh, perfect name, the aftertaker. Yeah, he really is. Um, His... uh... Second WWF Championship, whatever, title reign is going to come to a screeching halt here at SummerSlam 97. Um, well, I don't know. I'd say he's kind of limped into a halt here. You know, he's had some good, uh, quote-unquote, good defenses. I mean, we've enjoyed the stories being told since he won the title, all this stuff with Kane, the drama. But none of this drama, none of this story has really involved the actual championship. <laughs> the title you know uh sid came back and challenged him to a non-title match like even that was there was a story right there like to tell but um yeah so here we go we're going into SummerSlam 97 which again it's so weird to me we're reviewing these shows and they're all like the first week of the month you know this this show is august 3rd but then i got to thinking i was like well yeah there was WCW pay-per-views and they didn't want to do them on the same night they usually had them two weeks apart or something and then I think even at this point ECW was running shows too so um yeah it's yeah, the timing weird. the timing was a little bit different back then it's weird to go back and look at that and all of this build-up happens in the month of July yeah, exactly so, uh, it's it's hard to classify what exactly we're talking about here um, right but I, but I will say regarding this title reign uh, one of our Twitter followers brought up a good point uh, a couple weeks ago I think it was 
at Backland for Prez, Gino McManikin, uh, who follows us and always shouts us out and has a lot to say. But uh, he mentioned that it was kind of cool that if you look back at th- this title reign, it-, it might be a little underwhelming for as far as looking back on the matches. And, well, it's better know. than his first title reign. Sure. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of neat that Undertaker faced in his five months as champion at five different title uh, defenses he faced five different guys yeah it wasn't the same match three or four months in a row it wasn't right uh you know roman reigns versus brock lesnar however many times in a row, we're gonna see that or or, or whatever I, it just i just picked that, that out because it's the most recent but we see right. it all the time aj styles and nakamura how many pay-per-views in a row are we gonna see that uh and you know when do we ever see a guy facing five different guys five yeah. different months in a row and being like a fighting champion like that so kind of cool looking back on it like that oh absolutely i agree i'm glad you shouted that out because uh, i really wanted to bring that to our t- i'm glad that he brought that to our attention because it was really cool because again i remember a few episodes ago when we covered 96 every other month was either gold dust or mankind um and yeah he's a champion he's got a new uh a new con- a new contender every single month. Now, granted, they just get handed the opportunity by Vincent Mann yes. at the opening of Raw, which we're gonna have again here um, as we build to this SummerSlam. But uh, yeah, it is really cool. So thanks to our listeners for pointing that out to us because it's really neat. So. Well, why don't you go ahead and talk about that Raw two seventeen on <laughs> July seventh, the night after In Your House Canadian Stampede, where we last left off with the Undertaker defeating Vader in a match that. <clears throat> Most of our uh, Twitter followers uh, agreed with me. Uh, our Twitter poll, uh, we got, a, I believe it was 80% agreed that it was a thumbs up. Uh, 20% sided with you with the thumbs down on that match. You know, not to Wait. brag or anything like that. Win some, you lose some. Aim small, miss small. That's what I always say. <laughs> but that doesn't apply here at all. But anyway, yeah, you know what? I'll take that defeat. It's fine. You know, looking back on it, um, I might have been a little harsh on it, but again, my expectations are just high for Vader matches, and um, you know he's it just wasn't my cup of tea that night. But anyway, this match, uh, this build up, this match is is better than that match in my opinion. But um, how could it not be? You got Bret Hart in there with the Undertaker, so yeah, let's go to that Raw 217. Like you said, not after Canadian Stampede. We're still in Canada here. This is a very unique time in the WWF because. Every other week, they're going from Canada to the States and Canada to the States. It's really cool. Um, but here, again, the top of the show, um, Brett is just announced as the number one contender from Vincent Mann. I believe it's in the ring. And he's like, here's our number one contender, Bret Hart. He's going to face the Undertaker at SummerSlam. So I, I mean, just wrote that's, – that's like six months in a row now. Yeah. The, <laughs> the night after, they just get announced. You know? how, how crazy would people go online nowadays if that's oh my goodness. how yeah. the number one contender for the WWE Championship was decided? That, yeah. Oh, you know, Renee Young is just like, hey, uh, AJ Styles, your next opponent is going to be Rusev or something like that. Right. And, you know, I guess they kind of do that with Twitter and stuff nowadays. Sometimes they just announce matches on that, but usually not for the WWE Championship. Usually there's some right. sort of stakes or number one contender right. match or, or some reason why they're facing each other. But, uh, you know, it's it's the two biggest guys right now. you got your biggest heel in Bret Hart going up against oh, yeah. the WWF Champion. And 
it, it's clear that they have had this in plan, I guess, for a while because they have this cool heart and soul graphics all right. built up. They have this photo shoot, and the, we we put the pictures up on all our social media at Talking Taker. Uh, it's on the WWF magazine cover of that time with uh, Undertaker in the fog and the smoke behind Bret Hart, uh, who's standing on his logo. And you know, so th- so they obviously. They sent that out to pay-per-view providers months in advance. They sent that out for the WWF Magazine months in advance. They obviously knew they were going to get to this point for SummerSlam, but right. it just it, the way they built it up on TV seems like they just <laughs> yeah. decided it that morning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Seems like they just penciled it in. Oh, crap. But yeah, it is weird because, again, as much credit as we've been given um, – this Vince Russo era, the you know the the embryonic stages of the Russo era here. This is kind of weird because um, it feels like most of the TV and most of the writing and the storytelling, like you said, is going toward Brett and Sean or Austin and the Hart Foundation. Still, you know, um, so yeah, it is weird. Um, but again, building this up, this episode of Raw, um, Brett again, he's given that promo in the ring with Vince, and he says he'll become the champ for the fifth time. Which Hogan had been champ. Had he been champ five times? Yes. Hogan. Hogan. So would Brett have been probably the second guy? I guess I should have looked that up. Yeah. Yes. That's but Brett right. would have been the second guy to um have have done been a five time champion. So um, but he said if he this this here's where the stakes get high. He says if I don't win at SummerSlam, I promise to never ever wrestle on American soil again. So um that's pretty big, pretty big statement, pretty bold statement for a heel. So um I believe he but, actually said at the SummerSlam. Uh, you're right. You're right. If I don't win at the SummerSlam, yes. This whole these whole four <laughs> weeks in between, Brett calls it the SummerSlam every time, the entire time. Every time, uh, man. I'd love to know if that was like a note backstage for him or what, or if someone, no one like Pritchard didn't pull him aside and say, "Hey, it's just SummerSlam," you know, <laughs> or was that like Colossal Tussle or going to WrestleMania? They're gonna call it the SummerSlam at one point, and now they just call it sort. Of, I don't know, but Brett is persistent, man. The SummerSlam every, every time. time, yeah, every time. So, um, but it's kind of it's kind of weird here because then um, this is where Owen Hart faces is going to face Austin at SummerSlam, and then um, uh, I think is this where Austin comes out and beats him up with a chair during the Canadian national anthem, I believe. So again, they're in Canada, so they're the baby faces. The Hart Foundation, uh, Austin comes out during the Canadian national anthem and beats them up, um, which again that's super heel move. But when they come back next week to Monday Night Raw to the States, he's super over because he's a face in the state. It's a really, really weird time. A really cool dichotomy they have going on there. So I really enjoyed that. It's such um, a cool dynamic that they've never really been able to do yeah. besides that. And it's so unique for that time. Uh, it's so, uh, so intricate and well done where you've got guys that are heels sometimes and, and baby faces sometimes depending on where they are it's just brilliant and and, yeah. and, they, and they play into it no matter where they are you know when austin comes out in canada he's acting like a heel oh he's yeah like leaning he into it. that yeah. you know, he loves it right yeah. uh and when bret hart's in canada he's acting like the uh the, the biggest baby face in the world this yeah. whole promo he barely talks about undertaker he just talks yeah, about how much he hates america and how much yeah. he loves canada and they're just eating it up man it's so oh, yeah. so well done well i have a question too what do you think again this is just us speculating but okay we always hear on all the wrestling podcasts they always they plan their um you know their tours like a year in advance or six months in advance 
Do you think they had? I mean, they obviously had these nights planned to go from you know Canada to the states, Canada to the states, Canada. Did they just happen to fall in their lap? Did they have this Heart Foundation, Brett's Heel storyline? You know, like do you know? Do you think that was all planned out that far in advance? I think I doubt it. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of luck and a little bit of planning because yeah, we've talked about it here. Like it seems like they're in Canada every summer like yeah and we've yeah, heard yeah. that on some other podcasts too that they tend to do that right. so i think that they you know it's and it's hard to book those arenas uh right uh, on the fly so i'm sure that a lot of this stuff where they're going back and forth between canada and america i think that had to have been booked in advance right. for the most part and then they just kind of got lucky with uh, with everything else that's going on, and, and they kind of <laughs> yeah. lean into it a little bit. So a, a little bit of chance and a little bit of, uh, of planning in advance. So yeah, yeah. But it, it, I always thought about that too, about how yeah. all this stuff just works together into something brilliant, and we're going to continue to see that over the next few months. It's a lot of a lot of luck and a lot of chance that we're going to. Yeah, a lot of just happenstance. It's like yeah. man, how lucky you guys got. So. Um, but again, again, this is talking taker, so we're going to get to undertaker here. There's not, he's not on this episode he's not on the show. No, no, but there's a Paul bear, you know, scene backstage and he says that he doesn't have to apologize for what he called the undertaker, AKA a murderer. Um, he says taker should apologize because Kane is alive. Kane's disfigured. Poor little Kane. He's so disfigured. You wouldn't believe his charred body parts. Some of him is okay, but some of him is totally disfigured. You wouldn't believe this poor child growing up over the last 20 years, what he went through, the pain of all the operations, the skin grafts, having to hide out. He can't go into the sunlight because of the scars. It seems like he's just rambling on. Like, I don't know if this was a pre-tape. This might have been live to tape. Like, because he's just kind of going on and he can't go out in the sun and he's got because of the skin grafts and it's just kind of weird. But um, he says Kane's only hope is that he'll one day come face to face with his brother and he feels pure, unadulterated hate. So it was just, it was hokey and over the top, but Paul Bear is so good at that, man. It was awesome. He sells it really well. You you can tell that they're really trying to slow all this down a little bit yeah. <laughs> with all of the reveals about Kane. Like they want to stretch it out a little bit more. And and we're gonna see that here over the next few weeks with, with Paul Bear's promos and they kind of Right. Kind of slow down and steer away from The Undertaker and Kane to go back towards Undertaker versus Bret Hart and focus on that. And then they'll ramp it up here uh, in the months to follow. But like like you said, you know, Paul Bear, it's it's a lot, but he's he's Paul Bear, man. He, he's a pro. Yeah. He sells it. Uh, he does a great job with it. Yeah, and he says something that I pointed out on our last week's episode where I was like, you shouldn't – if you're being accused of being a murderer, you shouldn't threaten to kill somebody, which Paul Bear actually calls him out here. He's like, you know, you threatened to kill me last week. Yes. So um, anyways, like, you're a murderer. So, uh, But then Vince Vince psychoanalyzes this. He goes, well, it must be hate that kept Kane alive all these years. <laughs> like, again, doesn't let anything subtle go by. He's just oh, like, no. let me shove this down your throat. <laughs> hate is what kept Kane alive. So, but there, the, the other announcers are, are arguing on whether or not Kane is even real or not. So they're right, building true. intrigue, they're building suspense. There, something is gonna is gonna give with this whole Kane storyline, and and we 
it's hard to look back on being there in 1997 when we know everything that Kane's going to be, but trying to put yourself right. in the, in that place of that time and wondering what is this? Like, who is Kane? What is Kane? Is it going to be somebody we've never seen before? Is it going to be somebody coming back? Uh, what is this person going to look like? Are they going to wrestle? Are they just going right. to show up? What does all this mean? Uh, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of intrigue. Yeah, it really is. But that's it for our taker sighting on that episode of Raw. So, um, and talking about something getting dumped in your lap. So the next week for Raw, 218, uh, July 14th, 97, is in Shawn Michaels' hometown of <laughs> San Antonio, Texas. I mean, could you get a gift wrapped, you know, any better than that? Like, again, this we're, we're trying to build toward Taker and Hart, Bret Hart here, the heart and soul. Um, but here you go, you're at Shawn Michaels' hometown. So, um yeah, Hart yeah. Foundation opens up Raw again, and take it away for us. It's Raw 218 on July 14th, 97. There's a really cool graphic at the beginning where they're talking about how the Hart Foundation was were heroes in Canada, and now they're America's Most Wanted, and they put them on like an Old West poster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this Raw, I, I just love going back to it. This is one of my top... It may be my number one. It's one of my top three episodes of Raw, without a doubt, of all time. This episode of ever? Raw. Ever? Absolutely. Wow. Okay, cool. And it, it's partly nostalgia. For, for, sure. some, for some reason, I recorded this episode of Raw on, on VHS tape and like didn't tape <laughs> oh. over it. for some yeah. So I had it for a long time. And I, I don't know what made me want to tape it. Uh, this week particularly but I just remember watching it over and over again and just it's really all about the main event which is right the dude love Steve Austin versus uh, Owen Hart and British Bulldog where, where dude love debuts as Stone Cold's mystery opponent that whole storyline that whole reveal that that whole angle of that night is just one of the best 20 minutes of WWE television ever. yeah it's you know, we, we talked about Mankind and Mick Foley a lot on this yeah. show. And just to see how far he's evolved. And he was already incredible as Mankind. But to see yeah. him add this new layer, this new depth to his character, he's going to continue to do what, even more over the next few years. But just to see that, and it's hilarious, but it's also, it makes sense. And it's just well done and surprising. I love that whole segment of this episode of Raw. It's it's worth going out of your way to watch if you've never seen oh, it Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's really cool. And again, like you said, we have touched on Mankind a lot here. And um, yeah, he's dude love debuts this night. So it's really cool. Really cool thing. Again, talk about him being able to take a night off from bumping. Like dude loves <laughs> much easier. Again, we've talked about that here. He put a sock on his hand and started doing comedy and he made he was more over than he was when he was jumping off of, you know, doing that elbow drop off the into the concrete all the time. So really cool for him to get to um, do that here. So and but this night Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, again, Undertaker not on the show this week. Yeah. We're talking about taking a night off. <laughs> Undertaker spent yeah. two weeks off here. The only real Undertaker stuff we get on this episode is Paul Bearer again backstage. He promises that he's going to bring proof of Kane on next week's episode of Raw. So we don't know what that is. He just cuts another Ooh. short, mysterious promo. Somehow he's going to have proof that Kane is real to silence all the doubters next week. But uh, should just brought Kane. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd think. Here's my proof. <laughs> but yeah, but again, you gotta we draw it about, out. Yeah, in all seriousness, we talked about um how again they're competing with Nitro. You want to get your 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 viewers to 
tune in the next week, you know, whatever show you're watching. So that's one way. Dangle that carrot in front of them. Let them bite on it and come back next week, man. It's, it's really smart, uh, just television writing. You could also dangle a million dollars in front of people to get them to tune in every week. A million dollars stuffed inside the Undertaker's casket. <laughs> they are trying to give that away in the buildup to SummerSlam. Yeah. I, I, I really are. don't have anything else to say besides that. There's all these horrifying vignettes backstage with the headbang. They give these clues out every week leading up to this, the SummerSlam. And Sonny's there with her cleavage hanging out, uh, trying to get you to in, in, entice you to – do you call in? Did you mail – what did you do to win? I don't even remember. You had to write down the clues and be ready when they called you on the oh. uh, on Raw, which led to uh, – oh. a couple weeks later, Vince McMahon Watch calls Mania. one of the kids and the kid's like – How many guests do I get to take? Uh, well, maybe just one. How's that? All right. Okay. McMahon's a cheapskate, Ryan. You can't sit with me. If you win, we'll split the money, kid. Thanks, Jerry. All right, Ryan. We'll call you back and set it all up, pal. Thanks for being at home. You think he would have learned from that when, like, in remember 2009 when he did the million-dollar challenge thing with, with Trump and all that? Okay. And then he, he called somebody on air and, like, it was the wrong number. Like, they didn't pick up or something. It was like, you think he would have learned that from here, you oh know? Oh, my gosh. He probably thinks that's the funniest thing in the world. He's cracking up during SummerSlam <laughs> yeah. when uh, Todd Pintengale keeps getting wrong numbers. Yeah. In like a 20 minute it. segment in the middle of summer. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anyway. But I want I want to go back to the Heart Foundation on this episode. Again, this episode of Raw is iconic for the Dude Love debut. He went Is this where he wins the tag titles with Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. with Austin at the end. Um also the Patriot debuts here, which um he's going to be come and go fairly quickly. Um but his his theme music is not gonna. It's gonna come. and It's gonna stay. And those of you listening, if you know this by now, his theme music will become Kurt Angle's theme music. Of course. So, um, which is so iconic. But okay, so last week on Raw, Brett has said, you know, if I lose, I'll never. If I lose to the Undertaker, I won't wrestle on American soil. Well, apparently, he's ignited some sort of one game of one. If I lose, one upsmanship in the Heart Foundation, because here we have, um. It's weird. So Austin's going to kiss Owen's butt if he loses at SummerSlam. Bulldog says, if I lose to Ken Shamrock, I'm going to eat a can of dog food. (laughs) And then Brian Pillman says, if I lose to Goldust, the next night I'll wrestle him again in a dress. I'm just like, what? (laughs) I don't don't get it. I love it. It's, it's great, though. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Because now, even though some of it's kind of stupid, Noki, all those matches have stakes now. Exactly. At the SummerSlam. Exactly. And the next night on Raw, if Pillman loses, you know the next night you're going to see him looking stupid in a dress, you know? So. Um, and uh, Anvil says if oh, any, Anvil, any of the yeah. Heart Foundation loses, he's going to shave off his goatee, which <laughs> he renegs on 100%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. So, Psycho Sid comes out looking like Johnny Cash on this episode, too. Yeah, it, his last appearance right there. Oh, his, okay. This is officially his last this appearance. So, Yeah. So, anyway, but we touched on all the uh, – basically everything that's Undertaker-worthy here on this episode, except for this is where Sean comes out, and we've talked several times on Talking Taker about how Vince McMahon wants to live vicariously through Shawn Michaels, I think. And you can't see it any any more than you see on this episode. He is just gushing 
over Sean. Sean takes his shirt off. He's got khaki shorts and loafers on. No <laughs> socks. His polo hat's on backwards. I mean, he looks like, like in hindsight, like what a dork. But oh it's gosh. so I love Shawn Michaels. He's my the best wrestler in ring performer of all time. I think. But here, man, you just look at him. It's just like, man, this is ridiculous. But Vince is just gushing over him. Just you know, he loves it. And this is where Sean says he begs Vince to allow him to be part of SummerSlam. So we'll see what that leads to um, later on So in, in, in a future episode of Raw. So, but that's a little, a little bit of addition to um, this build-up here to heart and soul. Because, again, it seems like it's Brett and Sean that's being built up. But Yeah, and the next week, uh, Raw 219, July 21st, 97, we finally get to see The Undertaker uh, return back yeah. to Raw. In a another pretty classic match. I mean, I, we were talking a little bit before the show. I just think this is just one of the best stretches of Raw ever. Like this four week stretch, and really, you know, even continuing on, this is some awesome, memorable stuff. We get a flag match on Raw. Brett Owen and the Bulldog challenge anybody. What what they specifically challenge? Undertaker, Ken Shamrock, and Stone Cold Steve Austin to a flag Right, match. their opponents at their SummerSlam. Their opponents at SummerSlam. Yep. It actually ends up being Austin and Dude Love who come out in the main event to answer this challenge uh, against Brett Owen and the Bulldog in a flag match. Uh, and then as the first segment goes to commercial... <laughs> uh, Austin comes out and says... I'll join the stupid flag match. <laughs> it's, just, it's so funny to me, man. Just the way he delivers that line. I don't know. It's so good. But anyway, go ahead. Well, Undertaker joins the stupid flag match as they go into <laughs> yes. commercial. Sadly, without his All-American flag jacket that we saw from Survivor Series a few years ago. I wish he'd brought that back out of the mothballs. But um, Yeah, man. He joins the team. And uh, it's a pretty great match. Pretty great main event there. Uh, the the All-Americans end up losing when Brian Pillman interferes and crotches Undertaker on the ropes as he's going for the flag. Um, and the Canadians are able to win and, you know, we're able to get the full episode of La Femme Nikita airing after the show, which I know everyone was worried about oh, on that God. night because the show ran long. It ran like 20 minutes long that night. Uh, so uh, we do get to finally see The Undertaker actually interacting with Bret Hart. Yeah. on this episode and finally building up to that heart and soul matchup. And uh, yeah. there's some other stuff that goes on on this Raw, too, building up to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want to touch on some of the other stuff. But, yeah, right here we finally get them coming face-to-face at least and interacting. Again, SummerSlam is the second biggest – well, Rumble and Mania. But then, you know, SummerSlam is the, the WrestleMania of the summer, you know. So it's just weird that they're not interacting more, you know. But um, I just want to touch on a few other things in this, this episode because – did you watch the um, Shawn Michaels uh, interview segment in the middle here? Dude, it was it, over whew, the line. <laughs> you cannot. Again, I would encourage everyone to go watch this. However, watch it with 1997 eyes, okay? Not 2018. Um, this would not air on television right now. There's, it's the beginning of the DX Shawn Michaels character. Oh, yeah. He's doing suckets. He's doing, he does, throws a couple little suckets out there, which I know Hall and Nash were doing on over on Nitro as well. Um, he gets uh, an F word chanted at him. Um, yes. Oh, my uh, gosh. He does, yeah. Not not the four-letter F word, but we won't say it here. He's going to keep this PG. But anyway, if, you wanna, if you're interested, he talks about fairies and – all this stuff, man. It's yeah, it's out of control, over the top, man. Yeah. Super not PG. He also calls um, uh, Jim Ross Girth Brooks. 
<laughs> I've brought up Garth Brooks a few times on this podcast, and Sean one-ups me here and calls him Garth Brooks. <laughs> That's the line of the night right there. It but, is, uh, man. Yeah, it the, is. the gist of this whole interview is that HBK says – after saying last week he wanted a ticket to SummerSlam, he he wants to be the guest referee for this main yes. event between Bret Hart and Undertaker. And he wants to prove how much he's going to call it right down the middle because if, uh, if he doesn't call it down the middle, then he will move to Canada and he will never wrestle in the United States. Again. Right. Just like if Brett loses, he'll never wrestle in the U S then if Shawn Michaels doesn't call it down the middle, he will never wrestle in the U S again. So like you said earlier, everything has stakes. Every yeah. match has something to it that you can sink your teeth into. There's going to be consequences. The match matters. Something big yeah. is going to happen. Something's going to change because of what happens. And it's cool. Cause yeah. They, no, I was like, no matter the outcome of this match, something is changing. Right. You know? Someone's – Taker, Sean, or Bret Hart have consequences, all three of them, in this match. So. And it's like they book themselves into an impossible situation, and they have to find <laughs> their way out. But that's yeah. that's the best kind of booking, where you yeah. kind of book yourself into a corner, and you're like, all right, how do we get out of it? And that's where some of the best ideas come from sometimes mm-hmm. it goes really poorly and you can't come up with anything and you get two guys kicking each other in the balls for a weird finish at backlash but uh sometimes you get this or you get scott hall tasering, tasering goldberg yeah sometimes um. you get crap too oh but yeah so again it has stakes here and um now that again that's that's going to come into play later on because the Patriot debuts on Raw as a wrestler. He wrestles uh, Triple H or Hunter Hurts Helmsley. And um, at, during that match, Bret Hart comes out and gets in Vince's face. Again, on air, Vince McMahon isn't the the owner of the World Wrestling Federation. Um, however, Shawn Michaels is basically putting it out there for you. He keeps looking at him and winking at him and stuff, talking about you know the office and stuff. But anyway, so Bret Hart comes out and gets in Vince's face. And man, this has got Russo written all over it. I mean, it there. He slaps his headset off of him. They're pulling each other's shirts. You know, it is. They had to be pulled apart, and it is just. It's crazy, man. Because I think this is where Vince. Is this where Vince goes backstage later on? Um, I don't know. Anyway, but it's just. It's crazy because I mean, he's brawling with an announcer. You know, who's yeah. eventually going to become the the owner. And again, we can look at all this and with hindsight and the gift of that. It, the Montreal Screwjob seems like they worked himself into a shoot, as Steve Austin always says. If you're a conspiracy theorist, man, <laughs> yeah. it, all the stuff is right there for you. It is, Stuff man. like this. It is. But anyway, the, Paul, back to Taker. Go, go to Paul Bearer. Yeah, here. Paul Bearer, if he's trying to prove it's not a conspiracy that Kane is alive. So, <laughs> JR <laughs> asked Paul Bearer, you know, why should any of us believe you? Well, Paul says, number one, you can tell by the Undertaker's reaction that he's not a liar. That's true. And that a few years ago, Kane and Taker had a special bond with each other. You know, a brother's special bond. They and I know you have a big brother, Travis. So I'm, I'm sure you could totally relate to this. That uh, Undertaker and Kane had a statue, and they and they cut it in half, and it was a statue of the Grim Reaper. And each one of them had a piece of it that they carried around and they pledged that as long as they lived, they would keep their part of the statue. And Paul Bearer reveals Kane's half of the statue. 
And he's just so satisfied. Just that proves it, Jr. That's it. And if yeah. wherever Undertaker is, he has his part of the statue too. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, just like every brother, you know, shares a statue with their fellow brother. Right. Gray Kane have a statue that they share pieces of. <laughs> yeah, I, my brother and I do not have a charred statue what? or even a statue of anything that we split in half. You're Why would you ruin a good toy like that? I keep it. He'd make me keep it on my shelf because he wants all. He wants to keep all the cool nostalgia toys, but in my room, basically. So anyway, but yeah, the Kane Undertaker had this charred, um, yeah, this totem. Is, I guess it's so weird. This is terrible. Um, this is, everything this up is to stupid. this, so Kane Undertaker's story has been awesome, in yes. my opinion, and yours too. But this is like, oh man, dang it! But again, like you said, they're trying to drag it on, right? Because, and I think didn't Pritchard say on his show that. It wasn't going to be a one shot. Like Kane was just supposed to kind right. of well, come in. Yeah, kind of last till WrestleMania. Yeah. yeah, right. So they're kind of dragging it on. And I think he had said, if I'm not mistaken, I think he said they was they were going to debut him at SummerSlam, mm-hmm. but then they kind of chose to put it off a little bit. Right. So, um, anyway, yeah, pretty cool stuff. And you've already covered the the um flag match from the end. Oh, one more thing to add to this Brett and Sean feud. Again, even though we're building Undertaker, it's also building Brett and Sean. Uh, Sean's attacked by Brett in the back, um, which changes the flag match. Again, Sean was going to be the partner, but that's when, like you already mentioned earlier, um, Undertaker is going to wind up being the partner there, and we finally get him and Brett Hart getting their hands on each other. So, um, yeah, weird. <laughs> it is weird, and it's uh, it's a weird build. It takes us into the final week, the go-home show of uh, July 28th, Raw 220 on the network. It's... You know, again, not much to talk about here. Uh, there's a basically the gist of the the go home is there's a really cool video package building up the Undertaker, uh, building up uh, establishing. It's not even building up this feud with Bret Hart, but just building no. <laughs> up the credibility of the Undertaker. And it's got footage of Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, British Bulldog. It's stuff we haven't really seen. All those three guys kind of talking out of character about yeah. the Undertaker and just putting him over huge. Uh, he's not like uh, Sid or Diesel or some of these other guys that are giants. But they can't, they lack the mobility. You're not going to get that with Undertaker. Then you're going to look at the Undertaker and you look at uh, how, how bad is he wanted. He doesn't want it that bad. Wrong. The guy wants it so bad that you are in for a long fight, long night, any night. Any night, whether it's a small city, little town, big city, big town, 80,000 people, 20,000, it doesn't matter. This guy comes psyched up, focused all the time. Do you know where those clips are from? Is I, I couldn't remember where they were from. Is it from like a, DB, a Coliseum video or something? No, what they did was before the one night only pay-per-view which is coming up here in a couple months in september of 97 the uk exclusive pay-per-view they did a special in the uk i had i didn't know this until we started doing this podcast and i saw these videos keep popping up on youtube but they did a special called the wwe wwf fab four and they did like it was an hour on undertaker an hour on bret hart an hour on Shawn michaels and an hour on british bulldog Wow. They did sit down interviews with Jim Ross, just talking about their entire careers, kind of 
out of character a little bit. Wow, that's cool. Not quite to the level that we see now, but right. a lot more than we had seen before up to that point. And you can find all those on YouTube. We'll post all of that stuff here eventually on our uh, Twitter page when we get to that point when it would have aired. But it's really, cool. really neat. The Undertaker's ones especially. He talks about everything from his debut up to that point, all his different feuds, all the different people he's interacted with. Uh, really, really neat stuff that I had no idea about. Some of you listeners may have never seen before either. And that's where they pull this footage from for this video package. And we'll put this video package up on uh, the social media as well. Yeah, well, that's really neat. I didn't know that. Nice little nugget of information there. Look at that. Journalism degree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um, that's really cool, man. I, I didn't realize that. So, um, but yeah, this episode of Ross to go home for this SummerSlam, as Bret Hart continues to say. And he, he says, he opens up Raw again. When I said that if I didn't win the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt in the SummerSlam against The Undertaker... That I would never ever set foot in American soil again. I didn't mean it in a literal sense. I just meant it as a figure of speech. And this goes to show you that they'll do absolutely anything to paint you in a corner, to stack the deck against you. But see, the big difference is, in Canada, we stick to our word. And my word's as good as the gold that The Undertaker wears around his waist. I'll become a five-time champion at the SummerSlam, he says. And then he challenges the Patriot to a match tonight. And he says, next on the list is Undertaker, and um, that'll be this Sunday. So, again, this is actually the debut of that Patriot music. The week before the flag match, he had, like... Um, Star Spangled Banner or something. So, but this is the night where we get that Kurt Angle music. So, pretty and cool. It, um, it's also the night where Bret Hart says that if you're going to stick an enema in the United States, you'd stick <laughs> it right into Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, one of his greatest yeah. lines of it's all time. So perfect. So Hi. perfect for <laughs> a dastardly heel. Yeah. Wow. That. <laughs> oh man. That's horrifying. Oh, I believe he gracious. says on the uh, Wrestling with Shadows documentary, like he that's one of the rare things that he regrets saying. But man, it's a heck of a line. Oh man, he should just live it up, go yeah. with it. That's fantastic. So for Hill, he is perfect, you know. And speaking of enemas, you know, <laughs> Ahmed Johnson returned on this episode of Raw. The cheek, he's right there, <laughs> dude. Ahmed, the cheek Johnson, all padded up. He even had a neck pad on now. <laughs> Just the pads keep creeping in. <laughs> oh man, that's terrible. Oh, it was. Man. It was terrible. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. So this show at the end, um, we we do get a little glimpse of a, a actual build to Taker and Brett. But the main event of this show is Bret Hart versus Patriot. Again, this guy debuted last week. And he's in the main event of Monday Night Raw. I guess and Bret Hart, the number one contender. The, and Shawn Michaels comes out. Um, and or I think he's is he on commentary maybe for this match. Yes. And then anyway, yes. he interferes-ish. And Bret gets rolled up. You know, again, the most the most devastating finisher of all time is, is a schoolboy. The roll-up, you know. Um, it's pretty successful uh, win rate. So, yeah, the Patriot pins the number one contender six days before 
he's going to win the title. Unbelievable, man. Can you believe that? No. Like, oh. again, this is something that today's fans would crap all over. And, you know, maybe justifiably so. It's pretty weird yeah. for that to happen. Uh, for Bret Hart to lose going right into the pay-per-view to a guy who just debuted, who was, he's just a WCW tag team champion. You know, who is the Patriot? He's not some yeah. big guy. It's it's really weird to see. Yeah, it's very strange. But um, I don't know. I mean, I guess Bret Hart probably had some stroke backstage. I guess he signed off on that, you sure. know, so yeah. whatever. But then. Well, that is going to lead to his first title defenses against the Patriot, isn't it? So yeah, so it yeah, does lead into yeah. that. So anyway, but um, that brings us. Oh no, I'm sorry. At the very end, um, Sean and Brett are kind of jaw jacking, and and Undertaker appears on the ramp in smoke as Brett is super angry, ticked off, and um, the show goes off real quick. At least on the network, it, Taker kind of pops up, holds a title up, and boom, the show's That's it. gone. Yep. I don't know if the feed like cut out because the, the time ran over or what. Because on SummerSlam, they show that, but it goes on a little bit longer. So <laughs> I think their timing was off a little bit in these last couple weeks. So here, but anyway, that leads us into SummerSlam, which is um, uh, August third, ninety seven, in East Rutherford, New Jersey, Continental Airlines. So um, in the uh, shadow of New York City, as Vince, anytime they're in New Jersey, Vince always says in the shadow of New York City. He does it several times on this show. So, of course, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it starts out with a great video package uh, talking about t- telling the story. It's it's three guys' story. You've got right. Bret Hart, Undertaker. That's the match. But of course, Shawn Michaels is going to play a big part of it as the special referee. It keeps talking about uh, how if life was fair. If life were fair, then this mighty champion, this survivor of deception and conqueror of all earthly hells, would surely revel in the championship spotlight. The bright lights wouldn't singe his aura, illuminating a dark, horrifying secret from a distant past. You've got three guys who we've seen as iconic here over this new generation. Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, the three faces of it, all here in the main event of SummerSlam. And this video package is sort of, I thought, sort of telling like the story of the loss of the innocence of the WWF. Like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels used to be these heroes, and now they're clouded in controversy, and they're both acting very heelish and very different, and things just aren't the same in the WWF. It's not the WWF we grew up on. Things are changing. And this show is a changing of the guard in a lot of ways. Yeah, and you, I remember you mentioning that back when we did like Final Four and everything is how all these guys, good or bad, they were kind of just consumed by this lust for the title, the championship. And, you know, the good guys were doing heelish things and dastardly things. And that really does kind of flow into the the veins of this story right here going on. So it's pretty, it's pretty, yeah, it is kind of a changing of the guard. Again, all in response, I want to give credit where credit's due. The NWO are the heels over on WCW. Eric Bischoff's already the on-air heel authority figure over there. Everybody talks about Mr. McMahon. That's where the change. Eric Bischoff already did that before. Mm. Um, granted, WWF does it better and longer term, and it winds up being better. But again, NWO is this crazy, cool heels, good guys doing bad things, bad guys doing good things, crow sting, you know, is he good, is he bad? Um, WWF is going to 
kind of imitate that and, again, do it a lot better in the long run. Um, but I do want to give credit where credit's due because you and I are Absolutely. from the South. Absolutely. <laughs> WCW. <laughs> and, and the WWF writes the history books, so they sure. get to act like that wasn't the case. But, right. but it, you can't help but realize right. that it was. Yeah. So. <laughs> Anyway, but again, an- another part of this story, uh, this opening video for the SummerSlam, is basically, yeah, there's really no story between Brett and Taker. <laughs> um, but uh, that's just kind of being silly. But anyway, it's it is it is a really cool video, though. You know, like you said, um, but um, before we get into the match, I want to talk about this show in particular because the opening match of this show as well is an iconic match: um, Triple H and Mankind in a, in a blue bar steel cage. Um, this match to me, for some reason, this match is special. I, I think, did you, did, did you have this VHS? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Did, was this on some compilation or something? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I sure. remember borrowing some tape from you or getting a tape from video to go or something that, at your suggestion. And I remember dubbing it on, you know, using two VCRs and dubbing it and making like myself and my own compilation. And this is one of the matches, Triple H and Mick Foley, at your suggestion, you told me to watch this and I taped it. And for some reason, this match is like a special place in my heart. I love that match. Um, uh, they opened up the Canadian Stampede and I kind of crapped on it and said it wasn't that great. But this match is awesome in my opinion. Oh, but um, It's a coming out party yeah. for both of those guys. Both of them, yeah. Uh, which, again, they'll go on to intersect and intertwine for years and years to come. But, again, this is talking Taker. Like I said, I just wanted to add my personal kind of, you know, touch to this this special pay-per-view here, in my opinion. But we got Vince, JR, and Jerry Lawler on commentary again. So kind of a classic trio we've had for the last um, several months here. So And it's the main event, obviously, for the WWE yeah. Championship. And it follows Stone Cold versus Owen Hart. Oh, man. The infamous match where... Yeah. Wrestling history has changed. Stone Cold breaks his neck from a tombstone, oddly enough, from Owen Hart. That, I think, plays a part into this match because I think that match clearly ended before a little bit abruptly because of Stone Cold's injury. So after that match, we get sort of a really long segment of J.R. Vincent King at the at the desk sort of (laughs) stalling and and waiting till we get into the match. Uh, As Bret Hart comes out, uh, we we get a video package for their feud, which I'm sure they were going to air that. And again, that video package is kind of all about Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, not really about the Undertaker at all. Um, Bret Hart comes out and asks for the Canadian national anthem to be played, which maybe they were already planning on doing that, but it also kind of feels like they might've been Hey, why don't we do the national anthem? We gotta, we <laughs> yeah. gotta stretch. We that Austin Owen match was supposed to go another ten minutes. We gotta, we gotta kill some more time. Uh, and I think it feels like it felt like to me in this match, both guys were kind of they definitely slowed it down a bit at first. Uh, and again, sure. who am I to say? I don't know. Maybe they're just working that main event style, and maybe right. they were supposed to go that long. But to me, it, it kind of felt a little, a little bit slow. Uh, a bit as they were trying to stall a little bit because of what had happened in the match before. Uh, who knows? Uh, that's yeah. my guess, my interpretation. It is interesting, though, because like you said, Bret Hart comes out first, and then um, HBK comes out. Yeah. And uh, as he does, Jerry Lawler is saying, um, somehow Shawn Michaels is going to make this about himself. He's like, you just watch. <laughs> He'll be the center of attention, yep. which was probably him 
saying that as a shoot, you know, that probably wasn't a, a working line. That was a shoot. Um, but, um, it's funny because he comes, he comes out and, and he gets his pyro, his main entrance and all that. And I wrote down this quote from Jr. and he says, well, now all the other referees are going to want pyro. <laughs> so I, just, I just thought that was great. Jr. Nice. Line. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, good. Undertaker comes out, gets a huge pop, yeah. man. Crowd is loving it. He may have been uh, afterthought for this, but the crowd still loves him. Well, it, it, well, yeah, yeah. I was like, let's count the pops, okay? Because I've noticed I haven't. This is the show where I notice it the most. We get the gong, okay? The gong goes off, the crowd pops, right? But then the lights go out, and the crowd pops again, even bigger, in my opinion. But then when you actually see him come through the that's when the crowd goes, uh, as Pat Patterson would say, banana, right? <laughs> they go banana right there. Um, but I just I don't, I'm sure it's been happening and maybe I just haven't noticed it. But for some reason, it really stood out this night, which, again, this is what we see nowadays. Whenever he comes out, you get those three pops. You get the gong pop, the lights out pop. And then when you actually see him, it's when the crowd just erupts. But um, I don't know. I just wanted to point it out because I thought it was. Interesting. As we're talking about his evolution and his changing from 1990 to now, you know, that's just I just don't remember it being as significant as it was to me here. Um, could just be me reaching for straws. I don't know. No, man. I think that's a great point to see how they've evolved that over time. Yeah. I, I noticed. Well, I mean, I've noticed it a lot, but I just love how the announcers totally lay out at, while yeah. he makes his entrance. Even back then, the, yeah. As he walks to the ring none of the announcers speak until the lights go up. And right. They don't do that for anybody. And that just makes him seem even more special, even more significant, even more of a unique character. They never do yeah. that for anybody else's entrance. Um, especially, you know, I keep saying negative stuff about the product today, but like <laughs> nowadays they like laugh and joke over people's entrances. Yeah. But yeah. When the, even today, when the Undertaker comes out, you do not talk. While the nope. Undertaker's coming out, it's not the time to pop a joke or, or, or to make a quip or, or say anything. And even back then in 97, so it's really cool. makes him seem even more special. Yeah, it does. And he gets a new nickname here from JR. I, I don't know that. if you talk. No. <laughs> it's not really. I just – JR calls him the yardstick. Ah. He is the yardstick of the World Wrestling Federation. I guess he's meaning the measuring stick. Like that's – Everybody gets measured up to him, but I just thought it was funny. He's We've not. We've gotten so oh, no, many. Oh, no. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we should make a t-shirt with all these. Once we finally finish, we have these, all these names of uh, these, uh, I guess, secret na- or whatever nicknames for him we have. But now we got the yardstick. So. We should definitely make a yardstick t-shirt. Oh, my word. <laughs> That's the Tony show. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Um, it's great. Hey, speaking of attire. I, yes. I didn't like. I did not like that Bret Hart was wearing black on black for no, this. He's facing the Undertaker, man. I know. You gotta wear a pink top or pink pants or, or all pink or something. It's just that's. He usually makes great choices in his attire. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was the wrong move. Yeah, I agree. Matchup. And you know who else didn't make good choices? Shawn Michaels. <laughs> he's got a. He's got like black. Like combat boots on, some high water windbreaker black pants, and then his ref shirt, which is like a Shane McMahon medium, and he's got his sleeves cut off. But you know what he does have is awesome is his wrist tape, his red and sorry black and white stripes. 
You were laughing uncontrollably right now. Hey. I wish our fans could see you. You can almost see his yardstick. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, though, referee Shawn Michaels is awesome. Oh, he's he's a really good referee. He's excellent. He's that, like that's yeah. not as easy as it seems. No. He starts the match checking him, you know, wants to pat him down, make sure they have nothing. And, it, and which, again, it's just cool little nuances that he adds to it. He's such a good performer all around. Even think, as a referee, Sean steals the show. It's I think crazy. Stone Cold has talked on his podcast a lot about how much he hated doing yes. special referee stuff because it's so hard. You really, the referees are just the most underappreciated people in wrestling. They have to do so much to to keep the match going and, and to keep the spots moving and to keep the time going and have to be in the Placement. right place. Yes. And not get yeah. in the way of people's moves. And Shawn Michaels, uh, I can't remember seeing him do stuff. I'm sure he's done other special referees stuff they said he before hasn't. this. They said he hasn't. Maybe, maybe he has, I don't know, but uh, he's, he's a natural man. Yeah, of he course. really is. He's one of the best of all time. Maybe, maybe if this whole wrestling thing didn't work out for me, yeah, you referee. Maybe he could do that. But, uh, <laughs> we got but, some cool information here from Jr. Before we break down the match, he informs us that Undertaker has been in six SummerSlams. He's lost one of them, and that would have been '96, right? To um, oh to goodness, mankind. who was that? To yeah, Mankind, mankind when Paul Bear turned on him. Yeah, and um, oh no, that was Boiler Room Brawl, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. when Paul Bear turned on him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then Bret Hart has been in eight, and he only lost one too, and that was '92 at Wembley. So just really cool. Other than Jr.'s, he makes it feel real. You know, yes. he gives these cool statistics. So um, anyway, let's break the match. That's what we're all here for. We got cool build up. We had no idea what we're going to talk about, fans, with this build up. But we we had a lot. Of, we pulled a lot of meat off that bone. That's pretty good. So. Well, Shawn Michaels makes it feel real too. He goes and checks both guys. For, yeah, uh, checks their boots, checks their their gear for any weapons or anything like that. And we're already seeing the tension between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Bret Hart is like, "Why are you doing this? Come on, man! Uh, why you gotta be that?" Shawn Michaels is like, "I call it down the middle. I gotta be yeah. fair. I'm gonna check both guys." So they're building up the story of this match, and the story is gonna be. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart's tension and frustration with each other building up until it explodes here at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And Bret, being a hockey fan, he pulls the old classic hockey fight move at the very beginning. Um, he snatches the belt from Shawn and hits Undertaker in the back with it and then pulls his uh, his leather cloak thing like over his head and starts punching him in the gut like a hockey player. And it was just really, uh, I don't know, I thought it was funny. And again, Undertaker, we're used to him getting attacked from behind at the beginning of his yes. matches. So Bret Hart continues that that streak here. So Yeah, and it's uh, kind of here in the early parts telling the, the, a similar story to their Royal Rumble 96 match with Bret Hart trying to take out the legs of the Undertaker, yep. which makes sense because Undertaker's bigger, and it makes sense because Bret Hart wants to get the sharpshooter on. So he's going to attack yep. the legs. Uh, JR had a line where he said that, that Bret Hart's trying to take out the giant redwoods of The Undertaker, just like he's the WWF's Paul Bunyan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think he says, he's from Canada, right? One right. of them says, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, but yeah, Bret is working on the legs. Taker's working on the back. Um, which again, cool to see psychology from Bret. And I know um, Bret, or I, I remember mentioning I guess back to that Royal Rumble match that we we talked about um, was that 
Undertaker admits to loving working with Bret Hart because he actually got to wrestle, you know, um, and he uses psychology. And it's cool to see Michaels. He's threatening to DQ the Undertaker. He's like, I- I'll DQ you if I have to, you know. Um, but Taker does one of my favorite moves of all time, and it's a small move. And the first person I ever saw do it was Chris Jericho. Um, but I know he wasn't the first to do it. But he does a backbreaker, and when he, you know, keeps his leg out and he in pr- Undertaker presses Bret's, you know, presses Brett's chin or, or yeah, Brett's chin away and presses his legs away toward the toward the toward the ring and you know it kind of puts that extra stress on as a backbreaker and I just for some reason I've always loved that move. Yeah. I got that move done to me a thousand times by my brother. I'm sure you and I did it to each <laughs> other when we wrestled. So um this is one of my but it's a great psychological I mean it's a great telling psychology and using that m- match when you're trying to work on someone's back. So um anyway, I love that move. So I agree. It's a cool move you don't really see too much anymore. No. Uh, it's kind of back and forth at the fir- at the beginning. Like I said, uh, to me it was a little bit slow. Uh, starting Crowd off, thinks so too. They're kind of quiet. They were kind of quiet. Yeah, very, I-, I was surprised uh, about that. They did not seem very much into it here at the beginning. Uh, to me, it kind of picked up when Bret Hart uh, ended up getting Undertaker in a figure four. Uh, which I thought yeah. was a little bit different. Uh, and the announcers, as he's doing that, they talk about how Undertaker has never submitted in his entire career. Right. Which, as far as I could tell and remember, I, I think I don't think we've seen him submit Mm-mm. in anything, uh, maybe on a house show or something like that. But as far as on TV, I think they're right about that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely pay-per-views. We haven't covered a submission yet. So we'll probably get one in, during those biker-taker years. But I don't think as, like, this very iteration rare. of him yeah we're gonna get that but yeah figure four and then taker reverses it and uh well i'm sorry as he's in the figure four we get old fat paul bear walking down the aisle here waddling, waddling out, out. <laughs> yeah waddling out to the and commentary speculating we might see kane tonight are we gonna is this where kane's gonna show up you know um which again when they tip their hat that much you know he's not coming so um, oh yeah sure uh, but Undertaker reverses that figure four, and he just um, jumps out of the ring and just punches Paul Bearer. I love it. That was great. He's never given up on this, like, Paul Bearer hatred. I love that. It's so good. It's been a year now, a year, that they've been broken up. It's great. Unfortunately, that's a big distraction for him because Bret Hart is able to roll out, and he starts beating up Undertaker, and he does one of my favorite moves, which is the uh, ring post figure four. Another one of my favorites. That he has added into his game at this time, just – uh, it, that's one of like the most protected moves, I think, along with like Randy Orton's punt stuff like that. When, yeah, when yeah. Bret Hart did the ring post figure four, you knew that guy was gonna get hurt. It's like when Kevin oh, Owens yeah. does the power bomb on the apron, like oh, he yeah. took it to another level when he did something like that. So I uh, love seeing that ring post figure four. Yeah, uh, and as he's doing it, HBK starts counting him. He starts uh, trying to count him out, tell him he's got to yeah. break that move and. Bret Hart gets in his face. They're building up that tension even more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Again, the story the, the story's being told there between them two. Like you said, Shawn Michaels and and Bret Hart at SummerSlam here. It seems like, but um, but again, there's a good. There really is a good match going on psycho, psychology wise. You know, technically speaking, um, there's more work on the knee and Pillman and Owen come down to ringside at this point, and there's this guy, <laughs> these two guys in the front row. One's got an NWO shirt and one's just a new jersey guido man and they are just yelling obscenities at bret hart and he's flicking them off and stuff he just he loves it you know he always talks about he didn't want to be a heel but he's embracing it here man he's like great he's at it great at being a heel so um 
anyway, but pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Uh, Undertaker ends up t- punching out Owen Hart and Pillman on the outside, yeah. too, beating yeah. them up. He's being distracted. He's being worn yeah. down by all the distractions with Paul Bear, Owen Hart, and Brian Pillman. All inter- They don't interfere, but they do distract right. him, really. Not only him, they distract the referee here mm-hmm. because – in the meantime, Taker goes back inside and hits a huge choke slam huge. on Bret Hart. Humongous, wonderful looking choke slam. But he goes for the pin, and our unbiased referee Shawn Michaels on the outside dealing with the Hart Foundation. He can't come in, so Undertaker gets up off the pinfall and he comes over and he just pulls Shawn up on the apron, <laughs> you know, and argues. And then Brett rolls Undertaker up, and Sean slides in to count the three. You know, you're trying to count the pinfall, which again, he's showing he's unbiased here. It's a good story being told. And you'd think this would be kind of building into the finish, but that they stretch it out uh, a little bit more, <laughs> yeah. which is okay. Like I'm fine yeah. with that. Um, Taker uh, basically, Bret Hart starts doing the five moves of doom here, yep. and yep. He starts yep. gets the backbreaker, Russian leg sweep. All that good stuff. He he goes up and does his second rope elbow, and and Bret Hart flicks the crowd <laughs> off as he's doing that. Tell um, them they're number one, Jerry Lawler. Said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Taker keeps sitting up after every move that Bret Hart does. Bret Hart goes for cover, just a real loose cover, doesn't hook the leg, and Undertaker sits up after each and every yep. one of them. So, which I, I went back and reviewed our our um the match from Royal Rumble of '96. Same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Every time he hit one of the five moves of doom, Taker sat up. And then he hits that DDT afterward, gets two count. Same exact, like, such a callback. And you know that's not an accident. Oh, yeah. You know Bret Hart remembers that. He's such a good, like, in-ring guy. And so you know he remembers all that. And it's just a callback. Again, now we have the benefit of the network. We can go on and watch him, you know, back-to-back. But um, pretty cool stuff in there. Well, he finally goes for that final big move. He goes for the sharpshooter. But Undertaker just gets the goozle on Bret yeah. Hart before he can turn the turn the legs over. And Undertaker gets up, throws some haymakers in the corner, and goes for old school. But Bret Hart kicks the ropes, and Undertaker gets crotched on him, uh, which allows Bret Hart to go for a big superplex. And we get our we get the big botch of the match. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> Undertaker kind of slips on the ropes there, but they recover and Bret Hart oh, yeah. hit a big super duper plex off the top yeah. rope, man, <laughs> big time. Yeah, and again, I want to say kudos to to both of them because again, I've mentioned this from episode one probably, where anytime something goes wrong, Undertaker never lets you see through it. Like he just. He's such a pro. He was back in 1990 when he was just starting his character, and he is here in 97. You know, you can't – even though he slipped, they didn't get nervous. They didn't worry about it. They didn't go to the next spot. They just continued on and made it work, you know. It was awesome. But, yeah, that's that's a huge superplex that really cuts it close because they – if you go oh, back yeah. and watch it, it they <laughs> barely turn over in time. You yeah. know, it was kind of scary. Um, it could have gone awry very quickly. <laughs> um but then after that, he finally gets – he being Brett, finally gets a sharpshooter in here. And it's shades of WrestleMania 13 to me as this crowd is coming alive here. Um, because, again, and the commentary keeps talking about, is he going to pass out like WrestleMania 13 when Austin passed out? Um, which, again, you know that's not lost on Bret Hart. He wants to bring that in the match. So pretty cool. Um and then a big thing happens here, which I'm sure you're going to say right now. Go ahead. Well, Undertaker breaks the sharpshooter, yeah. and, and Hart goes flying to the outside. The crowd pops. JR starts screaming. No one has ever broken the sharpshooter, which 
I don't, yeah. I'm not sure that's true, but <laughs> right. sure, why not? Uh, let's, why not? Let's go for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't let truth get in the way of a good story, exactly, right? Exactly, <laughs> Um Bret Hart heads back in. Undertaker hits a clothesline on Hart, but his legs are starting to give out from him. Uh, he tries for a tombstone, but uh, Bret Hart uh, gets yeah. out of it. And Hart does something I don't think I don't remember ever seeing. Uh, Never. Instead of the ring post figure four, he does a ring post sharpshooter. Yeah. Which doesn't look as cool, but uh, no. you know, kudos for trying something different. Yeah, but it is. It, I mean. It may not look as like excellent in the execution of it. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it it really, I don't know. For some reason, you get the feeling because the figure four is more devastating. You get that feeling like as a fan, oh no, this hurts worse right. for some reason, you know. Um, but uh, and so as Taker's legs are wrapped around here, um, Sean starts counting. You know, five count for Brett to get off. And as he does, Taker kicks Brett off, and he falls onto Shawn Michaels quote-unquote hurt knee basically again this is the knee that made him go away has he wrestled since February? (laughs) okay oh wow what a great way to make a paycheck oh Um, uh, since uh june he won the tag team titles with oh yeah that's right that's right that's right my bad um but yeah so he he lands on the hurt knee again good storytelling here you know um and then brett brings a chair into the equation at this point because sean the referee is is down so Brett brings a chair in and hits, oh, a vicious chair shot, man, straight to the unprotected head. Oh, man. Undertaker's out. HBK <laughs> rolls in, but Bret Hart's only able to get a two count off yeah. that chair shot because HBK was out of the ring, and, and this is where Bret Hart loses it. He starts <laughs> screaming. He starts arguing with – hit with uh, with uh, <clears throat> Brett starts arguing with HBK. HBK seeds the chair, and he starts arguing with Brett, and here comes the big finish where Brett gets pissed off. He screams F you to to Shawn Michaels and spits on Shawn Michaels. So he's just Uh. lost it, and Shawn Michaels loses it. He loses his temper. He's ready to give up his whole career, and he rears back to hit hit, hit Brett Hart with the steel chair, but Brett Hart ducks out of the way, Shawn Michaels whacks Undertaker with the chair and Bret Hart. A second headshot. Yeah. Straight to the head. Bret Hart, like a true smart veteran heel, goes straight for the cover. And HBK knows that he has to count it. So he does very angrily. And Bret Hart wins. HBK storms to the back. And we have a new WWF champion. Oh, man. That storytelling and that finish is so... Good. Again, this match was a good technical match. It's uh, 28 minutes, 10 seconds. 20 seconds shorter than the Re- than the Royal Rumble match, which is weird. Um, but that again, that storytelling, you know, Sean is willing to give up not wrestling again in, the Ameri- in America to hit Brett. He misses, hits Undertaker. Undertaker goes down. Like you said, Brett covers immediately. He's a smart heel. You know, he covers. Sean stares him in the eyes as he's counting the three. You know, you got one chance to to get that camera shot. You know, like that is the fact that they pulled that off so smoothly is so. I mean, kudos to all of them. It was so awesome. Perfect storytelling done. Again, Sean's beside himself. He can't believe it. He storms to the back. Taker just rolls out of the ring and storms after Sean, which is going to lead us exactly. to where we're headed with us. You know, um, it's a perfect transition perfect. into the next feud. It, that's exactly. This is. 
one of the best finishes of all time in the this, WWF, yeah. without a doubt. It's the opposite of a lot of other things where you have a great match and it's kind of marred by a terrible mat, uh, finish. Right. For, for me, I, I honestly liked the Royal Rumble match a little bit better than me this too. one between these guys. I thought this match was probably five minutes too long. But guess what? The finish is amazing. And so it mm-hmm. boosts, boosts it over the top. You've got you know, an okay match raised up by an incredible finish. And I think that's why yeah. everyone remembers this match so well is because the finish is so perfectly done. To, and it protects everybody. Everybody looks uh, stronger coming out of it. You're interested in everybody more coming out of it. The uh, the announcers can't believe what's happening, and trash immediately starts yep. flooding the ring, NWO style. <laughs> oh yeah, which I you love it. Didn't really see in the WWF hardly ever. Right, and also Brett's music doesn't hit immediately either. Mm-hmm. It's it reminded me of the Brock, and which we'll get to Brock and and Undertaker when he broke the streak. You know, the music didn't hit for a while. Again, this was not as important, I guess, in the overall uh, history of the Undertaker, but um, his music doesn't hit for. A, probably a minute or so he's holding the title as garbage is hitting and his music finally hits i mean it felt like a minute it may have been 25 30 seconds but it, it that it kind of lets the crowd kind of digest it like what just happened you know because they didn't expect take her to lose i don't think and they didn't expect they didn't know what was going to happen you know because you don't expect brett to lose because you know he's going to wrestle in america again but you know they really had no beef here. Taker didn't deserve to lose, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it was a really cool little touch, I thought. It may have just been a flub on Kevin Dunn's part. I don't know. But to <laughs> me, it added to the match. It added to the drama oh, yeah. afterward. Because not having that music play just let me go, <gasps> what just happened? You know, so I don't know. It was cool. It was really very cool. cool. Uh, and, it, and like we said, it sets up everything for the next few months of – our show has set up everything for the next few months for the WWF as well in, in a lot of different ways. So kudos to them for a, you know, turning a weak buildup into an incredible finish, an incredible storyline. Yeah. That, that, like we said, makes everybody look great, makes everybody look all the better for being a part of it. So uh, that being said, we're going to continue on with our journey next week as we head into In Your House Ground Zero as we get the first ever meeting between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, which is crazy to believe. Yeah, I know. But uh, before we do that, we just want to wrap things up here with a little bit of your feedback. You guys can follow us on all our social media accounts, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Talking Taker. And all throughout the week, we post stuff with building up these matches and these episodes. And uh, this week you guys reached out to us about this particular match uh, with some of your memories of it. I just wanted to share a few of those comments from some of you guys. Uh, At Live for Greatness uh, shared his memory of the match, was saying, still amazes me that Vince never put these three guys in a triple threat match on pay-per-view. Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, and The Undertaker. And I never thought about that, but that would have been pretty neat and if you think yeah. you know if this would have happened you know a few Today. years later or yeah even a few years later i think that definitely oh, yeah. would have happened um they mentioned Very that astute observation there that would have been wonderful to see yeah yeah it would have been really cool and of course our buddy randy turco at pokey's little dog tweeted to us this is one of my favorite <laughs> responses yeah. to anything we've ever gotten on twitter <laughs> said uh 
I was so distraught after Undertaker dropped the strap that I actually got on the highway going in the wrong direction driving home from my buddy's house. Didn't even notice for five miles or so. So, man. No, that is a distraught fan. Dude, oh, man. that is a true creature of the night right there. Exactly. Like, you know, he, he didn't say it, but he probably had a few tears in his eyes. Sure. Right that's, that's why he got distracted. It's okay, sure. Randy. It's okay, Randy. We've all been there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But see, as a, I mean, he was at least 16 because he's driving, right? So, I mean, he's 16 years old. You just hit him hard, you know? Take her loss here. You know? It's, that, man, that's great. That's the best thing I've heard. That's fantastic. I've never even driven on the wrong side of the road of uh, the interstate, but much less for five miles. That's phenomenal, Randy. Thank you so much for that. I'm not sure he got on the interstate. <laughs> I don't think he was driving into traffic. I think he just took, uh, I think he just well, took a wrong turn, but maybe. Stay know. tuned. Stay tuned. We'll see. <laughs> I have a shout-out. You interpreted that differently. <laughs> Hey, potato, Randy, potato. you got to clarify for us. Yeah, clarify, please. <laughs> um, I would like to shout out a state, okay? Um, I was doing a little research on our account, and uh, we can, you know, see some geography. We, we have lots of downloads. We have a lot of international fans. We appreciate that. We thank you guys downloading us from a lot of fans in the United Kingdom and Australia and over in um, – the rest of Europe and even India and Poland. That's pretty cool. So anyway, but we have uh, one particular state here in the United States has over a third of our downloads from the United States have come from the great state of Wisconsin. And that blew my mind. I thought it would be Georgia, where we're from, or even Tennessee, where I live, maybe some friends there. But no, it's Wisconsin. And uh, I would just like to say thank you. To Wisconsin and the rest of you states, let's get those downloads up there. You know, that's your challenge. They are again, they have over a third of our downloads in that state. So I don't know what's happening. Big head cheese fans up there. <laughs> head cheese, cheese heads. <laughs> go pack oh. go, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, just thanks to you guys. Thanks to all of our listeners. Doesn't matter what state, which country you're from. We love doing this. It's just Again, two marks having fun. You know, we love this. We love you, listeners. We love your feedback. It's really, really fun. Maybe there's a lot of Take Her Easy T-shirts going around in Wisconsin. I don't know if you want to get one wherever you are. You can get a long sleeve one or even a hoodie for those yeah. Wisconsin temperatures at tpublic.com. You can uh, just search for Talking Taker or Take Her Easy over on TeePublic. Get that logo, our design on it, pretty much anything you want on there. Uh, you know, I'm not wearing mine tonight. I'm actually wearing my official WWF Pogs t-shirt from when so, I ordered a giant 500-pack of WWF Pogs <laughs> because it has Undertaker and Bret Hart both on there. Both of their Pogs are on this t-shirt. It just, does. Just slam it. It's also got a Diesel, Razor Ramon, Ted DiBiase on there from the fourth grade. Uh, this wow. shirt from what was that? Like ninety five, ninety six, and uh, it's, yeah, it's enormous on me. <laughs> <laughs> How is that possible? Because I, I ordered like triple XL T shirts in the fourth grade. Okay, <laughs> I don't know why I wanted really big T shirts. Uh, oh, yeah, that's fantastic. It, it's wonderful. 
It's wonderful. Let's put that up on our social media account yeah, as well. Yeah, we'll put that up uh, on there. Follow us, subscribe, do all that great stuff. You know how it works. Yeah. If you were there in East Rutherford, New Jersey, we want to know. If you were the guy, the Guido yelling obscenities, if you were the NWO shirt guy getting flicked up by Bret Hart, we want to know who you are. Thank you guys for listening. Again, ladies and gentlemen, most importantly, take her easy. If you were going to give the United States of America an enema, you'd stick the holes right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, <laughs>